coming up. What is torticollis? Good question. So Mm -hmm. our textbook definition of torticollis is a baby that has a positional kind of postural preference in terms of how their head is positioned, typically with one ear tilted towards their shoulder and then rotating and looking to the opposite direction. And it's typically due to tightness in a specific muscle in the neck called the sternocleidomastoid. So if you look- I was wondering about (laughs) that, FEM. Yes. If you look at the textbook definition of congenital muscular torticollis, that is what you will find. Now, do our muscles and our bodies work in isolation? Absolutely not. They're all connected. The head bones connect into the, the neck bone, all of that. Yes. So what we find actually in practice is that babies can be tight in that muscle. They can be tight in a lot of other muscles too. Some of them don't follow that really predictable pattern. Some of them may be tight on the other side. A lot of parents feel some sort of guilt that they did something. And what I want to tell most, like all the parents that are struggling with those feelings is that this was nothing that you did. There's not a lot we can do to prevent this, but what we can do is bring awareness to it so that parents and providers are screening for it and looking for it early. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Munch Munch Mayo podcast. It's Kimi Nishimoto and Megan Van Noy. Hello. (laughs) And today we have Miss Progress Through Play, Dr. Britta DeStefano. Uh, she is a baby physical therapist. We're going to talk all about baby torticollis, aka yes. twisted baby. <laughs> yes, yes, we're it. we're so excited to have you. Um, and you know, we get a lot of questions about body work and torticollis and how it's all connected. And um, you know, as Kimmy and I have said several several times on the podcast, uh, we don't work with babies. We just experiment on my baby and. Uh, about it. Um, I guess my toddler, she's a toddler. She's not a baby. Um, but you know, this is something I think it's so important. Um, I've had several friends including myself have babies over the last two years. And I would say at least half have had some sort of, uh, torticollis issue. And so I'm excited to kind of talk more about that. So give us a little bit of your background and how you got into treating babies and, uh, we'll dive in from there. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, um, like you mentioned, am a pediatric physical therapist. I've been in the field practicing in pediatrics for like 11 years uh, at this point, I believe. And over the course of my career, I have narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed down my patient population because I have such a passion for infants. And so I currently only work with babies from birth until walking age, whenever mm. that is for um, mm, okay. each child. And I have my own two children, which they're now eight and six years old. And so my son, when he was a baby, was significantly tongue-tied mm-hmm. and made a little light bulb go off in my head about connecting everything I was doing in treating infants and looking at how that affected their oral function and being able to really look more holistically at 
the whole baby and not stop right here. If I'm treating tight necks, why would I not look at mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going yeah. on? The whole baby, it. all of it. So <laughs> it's been a journey in terms of the extra training I've done over the years. And now I'm in this space where I'm really treating the whole baby. And so I'm seeing babies with tightness in their bodies, torticollis, flathead, tongue tie, developmental delays, and all of those things. And so that is the current space that I'm in. And I practice in Denver. Britta, what in very simple terms for someone who doesn't know anything about torticollis, what is torticollis? Good question. So Mm -hmm. our textbook definition of torticollis is a baby that has a positional kind of postural preference in terms of how their head is positioned, typically with one ear tilted towards their shoulder and then rotating and looking to the opposite direction. And it's typically due to tightness in a specific muscle in the neck called the sternocleidomastoid. So if you look- I was wondering about <laughs> that, FEM. Yes. If you look at the textbook definition of congenital muscular torticollis, that is what you will find. Now, do our muscles and our bodies work in isolation? Absolutely not. They're all connected. The head bones connected to the, the neck bone, all of that. Yes. So what we find actually in practice is that babies can be tight in that muscle. They can be tight in a lot of other muscles too. Some of them don't follow that really predictable pattern. Some of them may be tight on the other side. And so I don't try to fit babies into those specific boxes per se. And I look at basically just postural asymmetries. So meaning baby's body's not functioning the same on one side as it is on the other. So um, we might have some fascial restrictions, muscle restrictions, weakness, some difference between um, how the two sides are looking and working. And we want to make sure and address those because baby development and function should happen symmetrically, but it doesn't always happen that way because of a lot of different things and we can get into that, but um, that's kind of how I look at it now, as opposed to trying to kind of fit everybody into this, um, you know, really textbook definition of the word um, and really just looking at the whole baby. So Britta, if you were to like drama class style, if you were to act out like a baby that had like a pretty significant torticollis like what would it look like would it be more like this or would it be like this or would it be like the head arching back like what does it look like typically like this um head tilted to the ear looking to the opposite side um typically there's some sort of component of um like bending in their trunk so oftentimes you look at them and they look like they're c-shaped or like i call it like a banana Mm -hmm. um you lay them down and they always just bend to that side. Um, so it goes all the way down into their hip and their pelvis. So they'll probably have one of their hips hiked up. Their legs Mm. might look different. So one leg might flex up more than the other Mm -hmm. one arm might be tucked up a little bit. And the other arm is out here again, they can have a lot of different combinations of that. Maybe, you know, their trunk is tight on this side and, you know, again, we, we have to look at each baby separately, but typically they have, um, a 
preferred posture. So I tell parents like, look back at your camera roll. Oh yeah. In every single picture, is your baby like this to the same side every time? Granted, new, our newborns don't have head control. So it's not like they can like hold themselves up, but they should, you know, kind of fall to this side and then call fall to this side. And like, you know, the little newborn curl when they're all scrunched up, mm-hmm. they should be mm-hmm. able to do the newborn curl and kind of fall over this way. Newborn curl, fall over that way. Um, and again, be able to sleep with their head turned to this direction and sleep with their head turned to that direction without feeling any resistance. And so if every single time they kind of pull themselves into the same position, typically I would want to figure out why that's happening. Mm. I had a patient that I saw as a hygienist for many years, and he always had that head tilt and his shoulder was up and, you know, ground the heck out of his teeth and his upper jaw was a little canted, which means the maxilla was crooked. And you know, he would just always would be like, well, when I was a baby, they said I had rye neck. And I was like, what the heck is a rye neck? Is that an old fashioned term for a torticollis? Yep. Yep. And so what happens is, so adults can get what they call like spasmodic torticollis, which is that same muscle, but like a muscle spasm in it. Oh. So then you get stuck in that same posture as like a baby with congenital torticollis. Um, so you can get it from a muscle spasm. And obviously in adults, that's a different um, diagnosis, but they used to call that rye neck, um, mm. you know, like when, um, you would get that spasmodic corticalis. So whatever it is, you do see a lot of that kind of typical, like head tilt presentation. You typically want to start looking at this muscle and then go and look all the way down to the trunk and the pelvis and the hips and all of those things. It's so interesting when you're talking about the SDM because I was thinking like well what else is right there and I'm like oh that's your SEM is right there and your SEM helps you to turn and tilt your head is that correct yeah so it's a complicated motion because it is attached to your sternum your clavicle and the mastoid so way back here up in the skull right so if I try to connect these two dots and that muscle pops out it does this combo motion right so Uh, I'm tilting and turning But yeah, like think about everything that's happening up here in the skull where it attaches. We've got like cranial nerves and then we're talking about jaw tension and like uh, tension all the way up into our our cranial bones. And we see very often that these kiddos with torticollis also have plagiocephaly because of that preferred posture Mm. and then more pressure on one side of their head from always looking one direction. Um, And there's a lot to, to consider in, in those babies. And so they'll often have feeding issues too. And they can't nurse on one side because their head is stuck over here. And it's, it's important to make sure we're looking at all of those things when we're treating these babies. So a lot of questions that we get too, in general, I would say are, you know, and I think I, I see this a lot with tongue ties too. Um, and I will admit I was like this when I was pregnant with Isabel, like, what can I do to prevent it from even happening? Right. Like in the womb, you know, like how, how can I even stop this from becoming a thing? Is that even an option? (laughs) At at this point, we don't have any evidence to show that there's a way to prevent it. It, Mm -hmm. We know like some of the risk factors 
you know, if there's multiples and there's not as much room in there, if there's low amniotic fluid, so there's less movement going on. Firstborn babies are at higher risk. Oh, interesting. Mom's anatomy has not been stretched in that way before. So I think there's a potential for babies to get kind of more stuck in one position in the womb. Um, bigger babies, uh, male babies, which just tend to be bigger again. So a lot of it comes down to their positioning in utero, which we don't have that much control Mm -hmm. over, but, um, you know, some other things that can play into it are, you know, precipitous births or traumatic birth for whatever reason, prolonged pushing also if baby's stuck in the birth canal and there's some, you know, kind of trauma to that neck area. And so a lot of parents feel some sort of guilt that they did something. And what I want to tell most, like all the parents that are struggling with those feelings is that this was nothing that you did. There's not a lot we can do to prevent this, but what we can do is bring awareness to it so that parents and providers are screening for it and looking for it early. Is there any correlation between a C-section and torticollis? Oh my gosh, I was going to ask the same question. Two of my the torticollis babies I was talking about were both C-sections. So not that we have like scientific evidence mm-hmm. for at this point. I think that anything that happens during the birth process can potentially affect our baby's bodies. Right. So it depends on how the C-section was, how the baby was positioned in the womb that required the C-section, right. Was it a C-section because they were breached? So then, yeah, they were stuck in a certain position. Was it a C-section because the cord was wrapped around the neck? So they're, you know, having some tension from, you know, a nuchal cord or anything like that. There's so many factors, right. That go into this, but I would, want to start asking those questions. I would, I always, when I'm seeing my patients, I'm rewinding all the way back and asking about pregnancy history and delivery history and all of those things, just to be able to get a better picture of what this baby's kind of been through in its Mm -hmm. short (laughs) life. And that just helps us connect the dots. I mean, it doesn't change anything about what I'm doing to help them in the moment, but it's always nice to kind of be able to put those puzzle pieces together. Yeah. And it's like you were saying either way, like there was some sort of a reason why the C-section happened and there's not anything you can do about that, but right. it just kind of like helps to answer the question and the little breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. We want to introduce this spot for Tots course, a parent's guide for toddlers ages two to five for mini Mayo. We have Megan and Kimmy going over nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue-tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. Uh, The course is $2.97 and the link will be in the description. Um, A lot of times what happens is then the baby goes to the pediatrician um, and there's like, oh, they've got a little bit of torticollis. We're just going to watch and see what happens. And which is my, honestly, my least favorite birth I've ever heard in my life about these things. Um, the wait and see approach tends to uh, work zero times out of 10, in my opinion. And uh, <laughs> especially speak to that a little bit, <laughs> yeah, especially when it comes to torticollis, we have 
very, very robust evidence that shows us the earlier you intervene in treating torticollis, the duration of their course of treatment is drastically shorter the earlier you intervene. So like when I say early, I mean by like one month old, which oftentimes is like in between pediatrician appointments, right? They see right. them, the, the couple newborn appointments, and then they don't see them again until two months. Mm. But the longer it goes untreated, it is exponential in terms of how long they will be in therapy to treat it. So I'm like, this is one of my biggest soapboxes that I will ever get on. Preach it. Climb it, girl. (laughs) When I see them as a newborn within that first month, we can work out those restrictions so much easier and so quickly. And before we're having to relearn motor skills, you know, we haven't gotten to rolling yet and all of these things they have, if they haven't sought treatment yet, maybe have developed compensations or atypical movement patterns to try and move, even though they're kind of stuck and tight. And Mm -hmm. then I'm trying to kind of rework some of that. And, um, it just earlier is easier for me, Mm -hmm. for the parents, for the baby, And so because we have, um, so much evidence to support that, it, it makes me a little confused why, why more pediatricians don't recommend earlier intervention. Mm -hmm. Britta, if a baby is very tight and kind of arching with the Mm -hmm. chin up, what in general does that relate to? A couple of things. So oftentimes that's a position of stabilization. So they're trying to stabilize Mm. themselves because something's feeling not good, not functioning well. And so they try and stabilize using, you know, kind of their back postural muscles and they stabilize in that position. There could be what I call like a postural block or some tension tightness pulling them in that direction. We oftentimes sometimes see that in babies with reflux. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're trying to move away from some sort of discomfort. Other times they guard in this direction. Mm. But if a baby is specifically moving into what we would think of as an atypical movement pattern, there is always a reason why. And so Mm -hmm. I have to be the little detective and say, are they having weakness in some area? And so they're trying to stabilize by going there. Are they in pain? Is there something tight that I can release back there to allow them to access movement in the other direction and finding out that why, so that we can, Mm -hmm. oftentimes they can't access a typical movement pattern because of whatever is blocking them. And this goes for the tongue movement. Also the baby I was just working with can't access his suck reflex unless Hmm. we take away the tension. So if I move his head into neutral or even a little bit of extension, he loses his suck reflex. But Mm -hmm. if I move him into flexion, because he has tension here. And so as soon as he starts to feel pull on, you know, those tight areas, he is not able to access that suck. So again, talking about how we're kind of just tying everything together. Um, you know, another baby that I'm working with who has some postural asymmetry cannot have a bowel movement because he's so stuck in this one posture that we know that 
movement is what helps with digestion. And also his tongue doesn't move well, unless he's in that one posture. Mm. And we know that the tongue helps with stimulating our digestion too. So like, as soon as we get him into his preferred posture and we get his tongue working, all of a sudden he has these like huge blowouts and mom is like, thank you. Oh my gosh. He hasn't pooped in like a whole week. (laughs) And I'm like, this is really, it's all interconnected and movement is like, basically the foundation of all of it, right? We want the tongue moving well. We want the body moving well. We want the bowels moving well. We want the diaphragm and the breathing to be moving well, like all of it. And if a provider's not addressing all of that, then mm-hmm. they're kind of jer- doing the family and the child a disservice. And oftentimes I can't be the only one addressing all of that. It's a lot of things. I'm not saying that right. I am, am always doing every single one of those things in my session, I'm pulling in other providers to help. Like I said, I was just working with a lactation consultant Mm -hmm. in my previous session. And so it's not just me, this is a team effort, but to be able to address all of those things to help these babies feel good in their bodies. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes these babies, they don't feel good. You can tell like they are just like stressed to the max. So we Mm -hmm. want them to feel good in their bodies. We want their bodies to be moving well so that their development can happen, you know, on track and that their feeding can be going well and just everything. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't even tell you, like, you're like the mom was like, thank you for making my baby poop. Something I literally (laughs) thought I would never say in my life until I had a child. And we literally had that conversation two days ago. I'm like, it seems like Isabel hasn't pooped very much in the past two days. And I was texting her dad. I'm like, has she pooped today? And like 20 minutes later, he was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm now relieved that my child pooped. What a a weird concept am I like having, right? (laughs) Well, it's so interesting because oftentimes that's a parent's primary complaint. They don't have a complaint about the fact that their baby tilts their head. Yeah, It's not really affecting the parent in any way, but they're like, we're having issues with, you know, feeding or we're having issues with digestion or whatever. And that's like the primary complaint. And so I say, that's what we're going to track in terms Mm -hmm. of seeing if we're seeing improvement, but I'm going to be focusing on this hip that's stuck up here, or the fact that the baby's tilted like this and can't move their rib cage or whatever. And then I want the parent to tell me what they see, you know, after we work through all of that. And if they're seeing improvements and whatever, they're kind of pain point was or, or Mm -hmm. the thing that they're struggling with the most. And it's so connected. Yeah. Britta, um, when you were talking about that, I was like, I have such a good idea for you. And I would like, you know, a little kickback in the future. Um, you could just have like a PT course. It's like, get your baby to poop. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, and the pooping PT. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just did a talk for uh, a virtual like potty training, uh, you know, workshop thing, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. About how all of this function starts early on mm-hmm. and the connection between oral dysfunction and like pelvic floor dysfunction. And, you know, just so much of this is connected. And, yeah. you know, being someone who is a, like body movement development mm. professional it's I just nerd out on this stuff about oh, yeah. how connected it is and honestly though I will say when I was early on in my career I didn't have that um 
right. it's not something that I was necessarily, it wasn't clicking for me until I had my son. And then I mm-hmm. was like, oh, mm-hmm. and then all of the issues that he's had since, because we did not get his tongue tie addressed properly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are, we are the poster children for what not to do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to the professionals local here to Denver who are helping us get where we need to be. But anyways, it, it just, he's been my little guinea pig and my teacher to help me mm-hmm. get to where I am at this point. And, you know, never in a million years did I think as a physical therapist that one of my primary referral sources would be a dentist or dentists, right? right? You know, if you'd asked me that when I started yeah. my career 11 or 12 years ago, I would have been like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are they referring for? Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. And mm-hmm. now, you know, a baby comes in for a release and the dentist takes one look at them in the car seat and they're like this and they say, nope, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to release that baby until we get their body looking better and functioning better and feeling better because otherwise if our body's still stuck like this and we do the release, are we going to heal tight again, probably, or are we going to be able to move and get that tongue healed in a way that we want? Such a good point. And why is that Britta? So Mm -hmm. that little string under there, your, your frenum, if it's too tight and they are in that tension pattern, does it just not release fully because the tongue's not elevating the way that it needs to because it's yanked on the sides or what what is the deal there there's so much connection between the tongue and literally the whole rest of the body between the fascial connections and just the fact that if we are our jaw and our neck is stuck in a certain posture we literally don't have the range of motion in in our head and neck to allow for the tongue to get a lot of good um mobility and so we know like if my chin is tucked and stuck here I can't open my jaw very well if I can't Mm. open my jaw very well I can't practice a lot of my oral exercises that we're looking for because we know that after a release our number one priority is just to get the tongue moving and Mm -hmm. if our body's stuck the likelihood of our tongue kind of getting stuck too is higher. So I'm not saying a hundred percent of the time, but we have a better chance of good mobility in one area if we have good mobility elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have found that that collaborative approach, approach and releasing a lot of those postural restrictions pre-release mm-hmm. allows for better function afterwards. Yeah. And I think that's really important too, as far as like, this like kind of ever elusive, like, what is body work, right? Like (laughs) that, I just, I see that question all the time. And, um, you know, and I think early on, I had that question too, you know, what is body work? What does that even mean? I think you really kind of hit it right on the head as far as the need for it and what that really looks like. So people could see somebody, you know, a pediatric physical therapist like you for body work, who else would be, you mentioned a lactation consultant, who else would be kind of people on your team? Yeah, I collaborate with so many providers, but lactation consultants, DOs, so osteopaths, craniosacral therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, gosh, who else? The the list kind of goes on. And Mm -hmm. for each family, I mean, even so acupuncture in in one family's case was a really big game changer. Uh, I might be missing somebody, but each family's little village or their team might look different. Mm -hmm. 
every child's needs are different. Every situation's different. Every family kind of values different things and prioritizes yeah. different things. And so I might be the right person for one family and then for another family, you know, they connect with somebody else. What I feel like I bring to the table from a physical therapy background, because some of the body work modalities are more passive, like craniosacral, mm. right? Um, I bring this functional piece to it where I am really tying this into overall development. And so we're mm -hmm. looking at how this is going to improve baby's ability to do tummy time, to roll over, to sit up, to crawl. And I think a lot of parents like that because there's also some purposeful play and hands-on things yeah. that they can be doing at home too, yeah. that translates to improving our overall function. So that's what I feel like I bring to that table of kind of collaborative mm -hmm. teamwork. Mm -hmm. I know you're the smartest girl. I just love you. <laughs> So I am that, but I do, I'll claim, I do, I'll claim it for you. Yeah, I do enjoy, you. I do enjoy what I do very, very much. You can tell, you can tell. So Britta with the tummy time, cause like from what we've mm -hmm. learned and Gigi did a podcast with us a couple months ago, milk matters PT, you guys can go back and watch that one. Okay. She's mm -hmm. the best, too. but, um, she talked about how tummy time helps with the neural development so with torticollis, if they're kind of twisted and bent, what does that do to the neurological development of a baby? Well, I like to think of it is, so pretend like if we're stuck in a certain posture, like you have some tape or like a string kind of pulling mm -hmm. you into that position. And then if I flipped you over onto your tummy and asked you to do like a, a cobra or a pushover or anything, like that's impossible. Like I yeah. can't. You're literally oh. <laughs> like, I mean, how can you possibly do that if you have this tension pulling you in the complete opposite direction? And these babies are still like potentially newborns. They don't have a lot of head control yet. So they're doing something that's really difficult, learning to lift their heads up against gravity against like this, um, this, this tension. And so first of all, we have to address that our postural asymmetries, the restrictions there in their range of motion so that it can feel good and they can even access and activate all those muscles and, and not feel like every time I put them on their tummy, I'm like stressing them out. And they're in this like tug of war with their own bodies. Yeah. Like that's mm -hmm. going to send us into like fight or flight mode because I'm fighting my own body. Like that's, that doesn't feel good. So in our babies with torticollis modifications are key in the beginning until we can get those restrictions worked out. And so it's a process. And so we have to find how baby can comfortably get in that position with their current state, meet them where they are and find the best modifications for them. And then work up to our goal of being able to do traditional tummy time without mm -hmm. feeling uncomfortable. So that's kind of our approach with those kiddos. Tug of war with my own body is the best line yeah. ever. I think that's what we're going to call this. <laughs> I yeah. think I just came up yeah. with that right now. <laughs> Perfect. Hashtag yeah. tug of war with my own body. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true though. And I think that's like, you can connect to that, right? Like you can connect yeah. to it so hard. And I think that's, uh, that was so good. Yeah. We, Timmy and I, like you guys don't get to see this part, but we kind of Kimmy and I have like private chats where we try and take little snippets from the episodes and quotes so we don't forget. And we type that literally at the same time. Like that's how <laughs> that's how good that was. And we're both like, I'm gonna work my own body. And then we were like, 
<laughs> I love it. But it does. I use a lot of visualization and yeah, so good analogies. And I don't know, I have a lot of random stuff that, you know, I'm like, this is not a, a technical term, but this is how I help parents yeah. un- understand what's going on with their babies. And I think that's a big part of what I do too, is helping ty- to kind of empower parents. They, they get that deeper connection and yeah. understanding and it's almost like a, a, a deeper, like compassion with like what the baby's yeah. going through and how hard they're working and, mm-hmm. and what their strengths are and how we can, you know, when I find that sweet spot, that perfect position that they just kind of like melt into that feels so good when we see that like tension release mm-hmm. and the parents cry, they're like, Oh my yeah. God, like, I've never seen my baby so relaxed, or I've never mm-hmm. seen them be able to hold their own pacifier in, or I've never seen them you know, fall asleep like that or have such a huge blow up, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it's just, oh, that moment. I live for that moment. I'm like, if I could just do this for the rest of my life, that's, you know, why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oftentimes, you know, these parents are stressed. There's something oh, going yeah. on, something doesn't feel right. They're trying to find a provider who can kind of connect with that and validate. Yeah. And so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be that for them. And and help kind of make that team for whatever support they need. Yeah. And, you know, and then like you just, you know, birthed a baby and then you're trying to recover yourself and you find out that your baby has this stuff going on and you're trying to, you know, just manage it all. And then you get told all these different things or, um, you know, that overwhelm is, is real. Right. Um, and actually I, my nephew has torticollis. Um, he is almost four months old and we're working through that. And, um, anytime he comes over here, we spend lots of time doing the guppy and some of the stuff that I have like picked up over time. Uh, you guys, I don't recommend this at home. Uh, I'm allowed to experiment on him because he's my nephew. So, um, but I was doing just a little gentle guppy with him over my lap the other day. And like, he literally fell asleep in the middle of me, just giving him his little hand massage and his little guppy. And he just like, he was so relaxed and he just straight up, I was like, is he awake? Uh, but yeah, I think being able to be that support team for those parents, because they're like, you know, we're exhausted and we don't know who's right. And we don't know who is like giving us the right information. And, you know, um, and I'm not going to knock every pediatrician, but a lot of times, cause this happened to me, like you go into the pediatrician, you're like, I think this is, there's something wrong and they blow you off. Right. Yeah. And, or it's, well, the pediatrician said it wasn't a big deal. And you're like, it's a big deal to me. <laughs> okay. Well, it's a, it's a real big deal up in here. So, yeah. um, you know, that's, it's just one more barrier that people have to overcome. And I'm just so glad that there's people out there like you who can help them overcome those barriers. So, um, man, it was so fun to have mm-hmm. you on today. Uh, I love that we were able to talk about like such a specific, unique, like one piece of the puzzle, but it's not just like tunnel vision on that torticollis. Like you said, it's the whole body, um, you know, and I think that's so, so important um, to look outside just that one lens of that SEM muscle and what's really happening. And I think that's so unique and incredible that that's something that you can really address with these babies. And I'm just going to fly my little baby nephew out to you. (laughs) We're just going to hop on the plane. We'll just come on out. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, okay. So Britta, where can people find you? I mean, physically, I know they can find you in the Denver area, but if yeah. they wanted to contact you, follow you, um, your website, your social media, how can they, how can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram a lot. So it's a great way to connect with me. And I do answer all of my DMS that I get over there. So I'm at progress through play on Instagram. Everything of mine is linked in my bio on Instagram, but if you wanted to head straight to my website, that is ptpdenver.com. Awesome. Awesome. And of course you can find us at the Munch Bunch Mayo podcast on all of our social media. Um, you can find Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory. You can find me at NWMFT. Um, we're always trying to, you know, connect with you guys. So if you have questions, um, even if you have questions for Britta and you can't remember how to find her, reach out to us, we can connect to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know you guys know how much we love to collaborate and talk with other people. So we're always happy to connect um, and make those connections for that collaboration. So thank you again wow. so much, Britta. Yeah. Uh, we look forward to, you know, stalking you some more on social media and uh, sharing all your stuff. So yeah. <laughs> thanks guys for all the support. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.